in my message uh, this morning. I've been talking about focus. This is the last one I'm going to do on focus. Um, but we've been talking about all kinds of different things. But one of the big, big kind of takeaways is that when you, when you focus on one thing, you have to take your focus off of another thing. Um, they just kind of reiterated that, uh, talking about stepping, uh, stepping off the team. Um, I want to read a scripture because the question comes is, how do you focus on God in this present age? I mean, we talked about this before. Uh, there's such unrest. There's such upheaval uh, with COVID-19, with protests, and all the things that are going on right now. Um, how, do you, how do you keep your focus on God? How do you not let something grab your focus or grab your attention? So this is found in Titus 2, 11 and 12. It says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. And so the grace of God, the Bible says, is what teaches us to say no to sin, first of all, but it also tells us that we can live upright and godly lives in this present age. So if you need to lean into anything right now, uh, what you need to lean into is grace. Um, I want to talk a little bit about culture because part of what we see often is culture grabs our attention and often it fights um, for our focus and tries to draw our focus away. So let me just kind of start with some levels of authority. Um, if you've been around DCF for a while, you've heard me teach into this. Uh, but there are, le- there are levels of authority. And if we, if we forget this, we, we can kind of get off track and we can give uh, some authority too much authority, too much power, and we can give some authority too little power. And so we want to be careful to get this right biblically. So, of course, the first one is God's sovereignty. That's just God himself um, and his word to you. So God's sovereignty, again, Scripture gives us, and we're going to talk about this in just a second, but Scripture gives us a context for all this, and I'll get to that in a minute. But ultimately, God's authority is God's authority in you. But be careful not to use this as a crutch or hide behind pillars of truth, so to speak, and saying, you know, when you want to do something ungodly and you just tell me, well, God told me to do that, when his word clearly tells us that we shouldn't, I'm going to believe his word over your interpretation of what you thought God said. You with me? So that's helpful to understand the sovereignty of God first. There's the authority of conscience. There are areas in life in which the scriptures are silent, vague, unclear, or intention. And in those areas, our conscience is the higher authority to which we must yield. Let me just give you some examples. Uh, types and styles of music, right? Um, there's nothing ungodly about country music except some country music, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> that's true even if you want to go there. That's even true of Christian music. There's certain Christian music that's completely not theologically accurate, and so it's helpful to know that. But, but types, styles of music is up to your conscience. Um, I remember we had friends who came out of the holiness movement, and one of the things that she did was she actually wore uh, sleeves that didn't go down to her, her wrists. She put makeup on, and she actually you know, dressed up. And, uh, and she caught all kinds of flack from all of her friends from the holiness movement. But the Bible, you know, the Bible speaks to about what it means to be beautiful. Um, it doesn't go after, it just says don't the things that, are, um, uh, that adorn the outside take precedence is really what, what it's saying. What scripture says to that is let the inner person be beautiful right before you start trying to make the outer person beautiful. But that's a, a, a concept of authority of conscience. We're uh, going in and out up here. Let me pause for a second. Do I need to do anything, Jeremy? We good? Okay. If I go out, um, if you would hand me that, if, if the mic goes out. All right, jumping right back in. Um, authority of responsibility. This is human oversight. This is limited to the responsibility that we have. So, for example, national government, 
Um, If we have godly laws, it's up to us to follow after those godly laws. At some point, civil disobedience is a good thing, especially when you push back against um, something that's ungodly. Uh, Again, church, leaders in church have a responsibility. Um, Leaders in church only have authority as long as you give that to them. It's delegated authority from the Lord to them to lead um, certain things, especially elders, to, to guide, guard, direct. That's kind of what they do. But too often they've taken more responsibility. If, if they're not careful, we can take more responsibility as leaders in the church than we should. Uh, another example is a home. Um, husbands, parents, there's an authority that God gives in terms of leadership roles uh, as parents. But as you know, at some point, your children become of age, and it, you have to change the way you parent. You don't use that responsibility the same way. Um, we also call this um, authority of responsibility uh, function, so authority of function. For, for example, if I need surgery and, um, and the person who's going to do the surgery happens to be a Buddhist, but, but I have a Christian surgeon who's you know, graduated at the bottom of his class <laughs> and the Buddhist surgeon graduated at the top of their class, uh, which one do you, you think you should pick if you're going to get surgery? And I hear some of you guys going, I'll just pray for healing. I get it, pray for healing, but let's say... <laughs> It doesn't happen and you have to get surgery. Which one do you pick? And common sense would tell you, you pick the Buddhist who's a better surgeon, right? And so that's helpful to know because if we're not careful, we do this like even with our, our president. We're like, you know, well, he's a Christian man. Well, uh, the jury's still out on whether, you know, lots of people are Christian, <laughs> right? And so the Bible talks about their fruit. There's lots of things that you can say, but the, but the point is if you're going to create, if you have a, a function, responsibility or authority of function, Choosing that makes more sense than choosing someone just because they're a Christian. Helpful to understand that. And then lastly is the authority of custom, and that's culture. And that's what we're kind of talking about today and how things can grab, how the culture can grab hold of you. But it's basically how societies gather together, how groups of people gather together and around common things. So it could be uh, clothes, uh, it could be uh, greetings, it could be a style of culture. There are lots of different things that culture speaks to. Music sometimes, the way we do things in church, the way we do things in public. Here's an example with COVID-19. It's tough to shake hands with people anymore. But That was so common. That's such a common thing in our culture. But think about it. I mean, is it really necessary to shake hands with somebody? And the answer is no, probably not. We figured that out. But there's something about that cultural experience that that greeting is something we've always done, and so it becomes expected until you shouldn't. So it's just helpful to understand that culture has an authority. So this thing called um, uh, groupthink. But before we get into that, all of those areas of, of, of authority submit to the Word of God. We talked about that before. And so I, got, I have a graphic up here. And you can download these, by the way, online. Uh, if you go to our website you, and our sermons, you can download a PDF of these uh, the slides that we're showing. But there's a graphic I had. Oh, you're right. I, I, didn't, I don't think I got all of them until you did. I, so I apologize. So anyway, I'll make sure that we upload that. But there's a graphic that speaks to all the levels of authority and how the Word of God actually covers that and speaks to all of those things. So um, the Word of God talks about the sovereignty of God. So again, I mentioned before, if you say God tells you to do something and the Word of God clearly says that you shouldn't do that, that that's ungodly, then I'm going to pick the Word of God, okay? Uh, But again, there are aspects where you say, well, uh, like here's a great example with um, our deacons stepping off team. They feel like the Lord is saying that. So that can potentially be subjective, but what they're doing is they're saying, you know what, we're, we've, we've asked the Lord to confirm this, and through various ways the Lord has confirmed this, and so they're taking the sovereignty of God in their life, and they're being led by that. But it's not outside of, 
again, of, of the Word of God. And so it's helpful to understand that. All the way down, including culture. When culture violates the Word of God, pick the Word of God over culture every single time. So this thing called, called groupthink, peer pressure, it can be good or bad. Um, it's how we got people to stop wearing bell-bottoms. Right? At some point, if you wore bell-bottoms to a party, people looked at you funny, right? Now, what's really interesting is that's turning around, and it seems like now if you wear bell-bottoms to a party, you're cool, and, you know, it's a new hipster thing to do. I could be wrong about that. I'm not really reading Vogue that much. But peer pressure has a power all of its own, all of its own and we forget that sometimes peer, peer pressure can actually be positive. But it, it can also be negative. So I want to read you something because um, what you have to do is you have to identify when the culture is trying to grab your focus. If you don't pay attention to this, if you miss when the culture tries to grab your focus, it will grab your focus and it will keep it for as long as you allow it. And if you do nothing, we're going to get into that in a second, if you do nothing, it will keep it for a long time. But let me just give you an example from, uh, from culture. So there's, there's an article I picked up, and I'm just going to read this, uh, just portions of this article. And the article is titled... Um, NASA scientists detect evidence of parallel universe where time runs backward, okay? <laughs> it's kind of, all, okay, that's interesting, right? Time runs backwards. And so listen to the, to the title again because it's going to get really, really important as I go through the, the article. NASA scientists detect evidence, you hear how clear that is, of parallel universe. So if you were to read the title of this, this article, what would you think it, it's telling you? That they have found evidence that there's a parallel universe. That's so awesome. Let's go take a look at that, right? However, as you read the article, let me tell you how it starts. It starts with the phrase, what if there's a parallel universe? Not a good start based on the, on the article heading, right? Where everything is exactly the same except people eat corn on the cob vertically instead of horizontally. It just might be out there, NASA scientists say. Again, not a really strong start. It goes on, it says, NASA scientists have detected evidence of a parallel universe right next to ours where all the rules of physics seem to be operating in reverse. So listen to the phrases. It keeps going. Scientists at, the, at, the, at NASA have conducted a series of cosmic ray detection experiments which have found particles that could be <laughs> from outside our universe. Right? Oh, it gets worse. That's the reason I printed this out. Okay? It keeps on going. Here's another paragraph. It says, um, to detect a heavier particle, a tau neutrino coming up out of the earth would imply. Right? Another interesting phrase, super specific. It goes on. It says, the findings suggest evidence of a parallel universe. Now, this is, listen, when I, I, this is not fake news, Okay? Sort of is based on the article, about, about the heading of the article, right? But, but this, again, this is something that in, in, in terms of our culture speaks to Genesis chapter 1, right? So if you're reading this as a Christian, if you're not careful, especially if, you don't, if you've not investigated this or researched this, culture is just going to tell you what to think. That's kind of what I'm getting at. It goes on, it says, uh, researchers have been combing over the data and recently, recently detected what they think are particles moving upward from the earth. See how many phrases just keep questioning it, but the assumption is, well, it can't possibly be the way God designed it, so this has to be true, even though they're not really certain. And then, here's what I've learned about I won't, I won't uh, go into, into, into any more of this, but this is what I've learned. I think it's fascinating that we think smart people can't be moved by peer pressure. Right? 
I think, I think it's amazing to us that we, if we're not careful, we believe experts. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I, I'm thankful for experts. Like I talked about before, there are certain aspects of function, the authority of function that I trust in, and I'm thankful for that someone has authority in, in an area, and they've earned that. They've, they've researched. They've done the work. Those things are all true. But we, we're silly to think that somehow because I'm very intelligent or I'm very educated, that somehow I have not been moved by the way the world thinks as, to, as opposed to the way God thinks, right? Because those two things are often diametrically opposed. And so you have to decide how much authority you give our culture. we got a lot of things going on right now, and there's a lot in the news about COVID-19 and the protests, and they're leaning this way or they're leaning this way. And you have people going who are online, you see it all over the place, probably don't see it as much in our little local hometown, but you recognize this going on in major cities and urban areas, especially across our country and even the world. And they're leaning into worldviews that may or may not be true. We're leaning into things. People are just challenging you to assume something is true, whether it's true or not. And so it's dangerous, it's incredibly dangerous as believers because God has called us to something greater as believers. That there's a message that we proclaim that's the foundation upon life, on which life is built. The gospel, our relationship with God, that Jesus came to a cross, right? Why did he come to the cross? I had a t-shirt when I first got saved because I didn't know you could actually preach the gospel without t-shirts, right? Christian t-shirts. And it turns out you can with your life and even your words, it turns out. But my t-shirt said, it had a big picture of Jesus on the cross, and he was really gnarly looking, just barely recognizing blood everywhere, so a lot of red on the t-shirt. And it said, if, if uh, you're okay and I'm okay, then explain this. That's kind of a brutal t-shirt, right? So here's the thing. One, I probably shouldn't have just worn that because that's not helpful sometimes. Just, you know, just says, you don't know and you don't know and you don't know and I'm angry and, you know, radical. Like, well, that's not helpful. I was a lot like Peter in the early days. But here's my point. So it, the point behind the cross is that, there, that Christianity is, is the only religion out of all the world religions. It's the only one with a Savior, right? So why is that important? Jesus comes to the cross and he saves us. Well, what does that mean? It means that we, you know, we talked about this in church, and we're in, in this church, and we're going to keep talking about it, about how the law comes, and the law gives rules and regulations and said, this is what you must be, this is what you must do so that you can come into the presence of God. Be perfect even as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's written in Matthew, right? Early parts of Matthew, and it's reiterating the Old Covenant. Well, what's it saying? It's saying that God's standard is perfection. It's absolute perfection. The only problem with that standard is you can't live up to it. Which it turns out, when you read the Bible, that's exactly what the Bible's trying to tell you and I. That the whole reason for the law, that it also included the sacrifices, and the sacrifices were blood sacrifices, because the economy of the covenant was not, I'm going to try harder, I'll do better. It was blood, and it was perfect, innocent blood. A, a lamb without spot or blemish, blemish is what the Old Testament called for. And then Jesus became the substitute lamb, right? He's the picture of that for all of eternity. And so the Bible says that all of our sin is placed on him. All of our missing the mark, all the times we couldn't follow the rules perfectly, all of those things were placed on Jesus. And all of his righteousness, because he lived a perfect life, was then placed on me. The great exchange is what I call it. And because of that now, I am forgiven. I'm not getting forgiven, right? 
I have been, and I've read this a million times in our church and, and reiterated this over and over and over again, I have been forgiven. And you're like, well, what about people who sin after, after you know, they've, they've asked Jesus into their life? Well, it's a really good question. You should probably look into that. Because it's going to determine how you live your life. That's why we talk about grace. Why I open with that scripture about grace is the way we live godly lives in this present age. Not perfection. If you're looking for perfection, it's not going to happen. Not on this side of the cross anyway. Can you walk in maturity? Can you obey more than you did when you first started? Lord, I hope so. <laughs> right? Otherwise, we're never going to grow and be the church in the world that the world needs. Right? We're supposed to be different. So there's this concept of it, you have to decide how much authority you give culture. And the danger is the culture will take your focus. It will, it will grab hold of it and take it away from you unless you are intentional. So I'm going to read a passage of Scripture. It's lengthy, and I apologize for that. But it's helpful to understand this. This is Numbers chapter 30, uh, verses 2 through 16. Now, again, this is the Old Covenant, so keep that in mind in the context of it. It says, a man who makes a vow to the Lord or makes a pledge under oath must never break it. He must do exactly what he said he would do. Remember perfection. That's what the Lord is after in the Old Covenant. Verse 3 says, if a young woman makes a vow to the Lord or a pledge under oath while she is still living in her father's home, in other words, underneath her father's authority, right? Verse 4 says, and her father hears of the vow or pledge and does not object to it, then all her vows and pledges will stand. And it goes on, I won't read it all, but it goes on and it talks about the role of a husband. The whole idea behind this place of authority was with a daughter in in her father's home, if she created a contract, and that's turned out, that's actually even true in our time and in our day about uh, contracts with minors, right? You have to have the authority. You have to have uh, the, the p- parents give permission for something to occur. It can still happen in certain arenas. One example is getting married before a certain age, right? I know, uh, I know families where the girl was very, very mature. As a young girl, she was far more mature than most girls her age, and she married a little bit younger than most. Now, she was of age at the time, but she could have gotten married before, but the only way she could is because her parents gave her permission. Why? Because a minor often doesn't think, they're not mature enough to make decisions about what's going on. So the person of authority has to protect and cover. This is why you can't be passive as a father. You can't be passive as a husband. You can't be passive as a Christian when it comes to culture. Because culture has an authority and it will make a contract with you. But only if you let it. The way culture makes contracts with people is they do nothing about it. They don't take a stand. And I'm not talking about just about protesting. I'm happy with protesting. I think that that's part of who we are as Americans, and I think also part of who we are in freedom as Christians, to be able to protest, to be able to push back, to speak to injustice, especially when authority is somehow unjust. That's the best time to speak to that injustice in authority, right? But to do nothing, and you've heard this as silence is violence. I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that because it determines that you're always going to be silent. What, what some of that is pushing is you have to make a decision and you have to make a decision now and you don't get time to think about it. You don't get time to process it. And I disagree with that. So if someone's pushing you, push back. Don't be afraid. You don't have to be mean. You don't have to be unkind necessarily. 
But you do have to create a boundary and say, hey, it's not okay that you try to move from your freedom into mine. You don't get to, get to take authority in my life unless I give it to you. Amen? And so we've seen this in throughout the years. It, it's caused wars because someone stood up and said, I will not be involved in this injustice on pain of my own death. The, the original framers of the Constitution, they, they agreed to a very interesting concept. They said, we pledge our, our, our finances, we pledge our wealth, we pledge even our lives to this cause of freedom and justice that, that eventually became America. It's an amazing concept, but it's built on the foundations of Scripture. And so why is this important? If you're passive, then what happens is culture takes advantage of your passivity. Ultimately, Scripture says that we don't fight against flesh and blood, right? What do we fight against? We fight against principalities. We're, we're fighting against heavenly authority, right, that is pushed back against the, the godly authority. Just because it's in heaven doesn't mean it's godly, right? They're, the Bible calls the devil the prince of the powers of the air. There's something occurring. There's a spirit of this age. There's a Scripture, um, Romans 12, 2 talks about it. It says, do not corn conform to the pattern of this world. In other words, the culture has a pattern. The culture has a way that it wants you to think and it wants you to act. And the Bible says to, sp to push back. It says, don't be conformed to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and perfect and pleasing will. And so here's another scripture. This is Ephesians 2, chapter 1, uh, sorry, Ephesians 2, verses 1 and 2. And it's talking about what the King James called the spirit of this age. This is what it says. As for you, this is the uh, NIV version. So listen carefully. It says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions, your sins. Talking about before you knew Christ. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. The pattern of the world. The spirit of the age. Culture. Having an authority. You followed it. Why? Because you didn't know there was an option. Right? And it goes on, it says, And of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Listen to that. The spirit who is at work in those who are disobedient. So it's not flesh and blood that we are fighting, although flesh and blood are often caught up in the spirit of the one who is disobedient. And it causes them to be disobedient too. Right? You want to hear something really powerful? Hear it in the message version. This is what I call the hippie Bible. Right? <laughs> it wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. Now listen, you let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. Right? Listen to this. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. If that isn't poetic, I don't know what is, man. Sometimes the hippie Bible just gets you, right? Right? So here's the thing, where has the Lord given you authority? And it turns out you have way more authority than you thought you have because you work in heavenly places, right? So it's not just, well, well I'm just going to pray, I'm just going to pray. Listen, I, I hear that and I hear people hide behind that pillar of truth saying, I'm going to pray as if I'm just going to say, God, I don't like this, this is super uncomfortable and I'm, I'm scared. And so they share all of their stuff and then they're quiet and then they walk away and never let God speak to the issue at hand. And that's what God is challenging us about. You don't get that option as a believer, now, you have to decide what the Lord is calling you to in this day and in this age. You have to decide what it looks like 
to push back on authority. What it looks like to be intentional rather than passive. You have to make that call. But don't do it arbitrarily. Don't do it because you got caught up in the spirit of the church age. Don't get it, do it because you get caught up in the spirit of the Republican or the Democrat or whatever else might be trying to, to move you. Get to your face on, and talk to God and say, God, talk to me about what you're requiring of me. And then whatever he asks you to do, do it. Do it. Don't expect me to join with you. Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. But that's your responsibility as a believer to take on what God has given you. The worst thing you can possibly do is is join in a battle that God has not called you to because God won't be with you in the battle. (laughs) God's grace and his kindness is amazing. But oftentimes he's picking up the pieces because we've breathed in disobedience, this polluted air, (laughs) and we breathe out disobedience, right? The point is, is if we cannot let culture or anything else dictate to us what we need to do. So let me end with this. In the place of your authority, the Bible says you have been seated in heavenly places with Christ, right? So what, first of all, as a believer, what is your authority? What's your authority? I've made decisions 30 years ago when I became a believer that are coming to light now. Someone says, what are you going to do with this happens? Have you thought about it? Turns out, I thought about it 30 years ago because when I submitted myself to God, that meant that there are certain things about my culture and about everything that's going on that I will never be able to participate in, nor should I. Right? And there's some other things that the Lord caused me to push back on in, when it comes to church world. I'm, I'm, my heart was broken. Because I I grew up in the church, and the church was so broken that it was hard to tell what was right and what was wrong. But the more I got into the Word of God, the more I realized that the reason why it was so off is because we had strayed so far from the Word of God. And we'd gotten into a place where we're making up our own rules, doing our own thing, doing trying to do, not even sometimes trying to do God's thing, although church world, hopefully that's what they were doing, trying to do God's thing, only not doing it God's way. That's what we were talking about earlier about the leadership thing. I was so caught up in, lead, we were leading churches as if we're leading corporations. And that is not, not even close to how God says lead a church. Right? We have politicians who are leading from selfish motives. We had church leaders who were taking advantage of the affections of the people that were supposed to go to Christ, and they were drawn. And you still see that happening. And it's okay to get angry. It's okay to get frustrated. But at some point, you have to ask yourself, well, what can be done about this? I'm glad you asked that question. Because something can. The reason you feel that frustration, the reason you have something inside of you. I have a friend, who his, his passion is against injustice, right? In any form or fashion, it's just, and he's devoted his entire life to pushing back against injustice. Day by day, moment by moment, decision by decision. His life is making a difference in his sphere of influence. Now get this, in your place of authority, in your sphere of influence, and you can say maybe I don't have a sphere of influence. Of course you do. Some spheres are bigger than others. Some spheres are more prominent than others. doesn't matter. You still have a sphere of influence. And in that sphere of influence or your place of authority, you have the power to define. You say that again, in your sphere of influence, 
wherever God's given you authority, and if that's in your kids, if that's uh, friends, if that's your neighbors, if you hold a position of authority, whoever that might be, you have a place of authority. And in that place of authority, hear me, from heaven, that authority has been delegated to you. And this is what Paul said to the church. He said, God has given me authority to build you up, never to tear you down. So listen to me. Be wary of authority that's trying to tear things down. Now, don't get me wrong. If the thing is injustice, then let's tear it all down, right? But be careful because it's, it can be complicated and the world can take advantage of you. The, the Bible talks about the spirit of the age being deceitful. You know what that means? It means it's going to subtly lie to you to try to get you to believe something that's not true. The antidote to that is not, they say this about counterfeit money, the antidote to seeing counterfeit money is not learning all the counterfeits, it's handling the real so much that the counterfeit becomes obvious. The same thing is true with you and I. When our focus is drawn away into the culture or what the Bible calls the cares of this life, whatever that might be, then we lose focus on the kingdom of God and the reason you exist in the first place. And you forget that you've been given a power, a a sphere of influence with the power to define in that place of influence. So with your kids, the world's going to try to tell them stuff. And it's really good at it. And it has a whole lot more money than you and better graphics. Right? So how are you going to combat that? The answer is live it in front of them because it's real. It's real. They still have to make choices as kids when they get older. But if you live it in front of them, if you speak that into their life, if you do what the Bible says, the authority you've been given and your kids rise up and want to go off and do something and they're still in a place of your sphere of influence, stand against it. Cancel that contract in your family, in your place of business. Sometimes that's going to cost you. I've shared this story before. I had a friend who's on a, on a, on a G5, is it a G5, the, the really expensive airplane? Anyway, personal jet with a billionaire, and he's trying to get funding from a, for a company that's created that has over 400 people working for him. And he needs this. And so he's sitting down with this guy, and this guy holds the keys, as it were, to the opportunity for, the, for them to keep those 400 families employed. And he's about to sit down with him across, you know, in this jet. They're flying across the country. And the guy makes a comment about something he saw in an article somewhere about those Christians. And and this particular instance was they spoke in tongues. And that's just, you know, they probably handle snakes too, right? Because that's what the culture says, right? So they spoke in tongues. And I don't understand it. So it must be wrong, of course, right? Because what we do is we shoot down things we don't understand. So rather than trying to understand, trying to capture that, He just made an assumption. The problem was that man is now in a moment. My friend was now in a moment. If I I feel like I need to speak against this or speak to this, if I do, I risk something powerful. And he settled in his heart and he went through it. He said it happened almost instantly, but he said he remembered, is this guy my provision or is God my provision? Now, if God wants to use this billionaire to do what he's going to do, then I'm fine with that. But if he doesn't, I'm also fine with that. So he said, I sat down across from him, and and this guy has a Ph.D. My friend has a Ph.D. It's not like this guy's not stupid, but this is what he said. He said, you know that comment you made about people speaking in tongues? And he goes, yeah. He goes, I speak in tongues. On a Learjet, (laughs) man with a Ph.D. talking to a billionaire. I speak in tongues. 
Would you like to know more about it, or are you just going to continue to be ignorant? Oh, oh, snap, right? He said it a little more kindly than I did because he had time, right? But here's the point. He said the guy listened, and he said, and he actually got to share Christ with him because of that moment. Now, he said the guy didn't accept Christ. Maybe he did later. But he said, how many opportunities do you think billionaires get to hear the message of the gospel? So here's the thing. The guy gave him the money. But it didn't have to happen that way. And that's my point. My point is, whatever sphere of influence you have, it has to grip you to the point. Whatever place of authority you have, if you know it's been delegated by God, if you know that's who God's called you to be, never, ever back down. Don't be weird about it. Don't be foolish. Don't be stupid in how you handle it because that's usually how we screw it up. But don't ever back down. Because in that place of authority, you have the power to define. Amen? Read this last scripture. It's 1 Chronicles 12.32. I kind of started out with this a little bit. And it said, from Issachar, this is about the men that served with David. Men who understood the times or understood the culture is another way of putting that. And they knew what Israel should do. They had a place of authority. They had a sphere of influence, and any place they had the sphere of influence, they knew what to do, and the practical implication of this is they did it. So don't lose focus. Where should you focus? Really pay attention to what the culture is trying to say, what the world, the spirit of the age. Try to understand what it's trying to say. I'm constantly looking at that and seeing what it's trying to say. I watch the news just like everybody else. I just don't watch it constantly. Because if not careful, it'll start telling me something that's not true. Even the ones, you know, the the people I like and I think they're doing a good job, they're not perfect. And they're going to get wrapped up sometimes in their own culture. But where should I focus? So understand the world, but obey God. Say that again. Understand the world, but obey God. Focus on the thing that needs to be focused on. Give attention to the thing that's the most important. What the Bible says is something that's eternal. It's not going away anytime soon. All this stuff that everybody's so excited about and, and clamoring for, the Bible says it's all going to pass away. But you and I, the lives, the hearts of men, the souls of men are eternal, one way or the other. So God's called us on mission, not just to be the church, right? But to do what Jesus said, to rescue many from bondage, right? To speak the truth, to remind people of the goodness of God and the mercy and that He's rescued us from our brokenness and our sin and He's the only hope that any of us have. And that is where we have a sphere of influence to speak that into truth. It starts with loving people. It starts with, you know, not take advantage of them. Don't just spout your version or your talking points. Not helpful. It's not help at all. But real lives connected to other lives where you really care about people, especially if they're different, you get to speak truth into people's hearts and lives and it gives them the opportunity and the chance to know God the way you know God. So understand the world, but obey the Lord. Amen? Stand with me. I hope this series has been helpful. Um, I've had an interesting time researching and going after some of this. It challenges me to what I need to do next, Uh, not just personally, but as a leader of the church. We're talking about that as elders. 
uh, talking about that with other leaders, church leaders, especially in our city. Any places that we have influence as a church, we're going after some of those things. Some of those things means to come into agreement, especially against injustice. We're all about that. Uh, sometimes that means pushing back. Places where people are doing some things that are a little bit foolish and they're caught up in their emotions and some of those other things. And we're going, I don't think that's a good idea. And, and I feel it when I say it. And if you say something like that, you're going to feel it too. But I, I want you to understand this. If you love people, people can hear what you have to say. There are going to be some people who don't care how much you love them. And they've got an, they've got an agenda and they're going to go after the agenda regardless of what you say or you do. Understand that. But the way we're going to see change is we love people deeply. We love them whether they ever respond to the gospel or not. But at some point, we love them, and we get to share the gospel. I've heard people say, you know, share the gospel and sometimes use words. That's a load of crap. Right? Share the gospel with your life, and you're always going to have to teach the gospel because the Bible says it's good news. And news is not something you figure out. It's something you hear. Okay? And the scripture speaks to that, which means we're going to have to, this is what the Bible says, to share the hope that's within you. Learn how to do that. As we move forward, we're going to be more and more missional. And I think that with the world and the place that it is, it's going to open people up to hear what God has to say far more than they ever have in the past. I'm seeing that occur even now with my family and some of, my, some of the friends. Had an incredible conversation the other, gay, other, di- other day with a guy that I never thought I'd have a conversation about this. So doors are opening. Be ready to give an account for what's happened to you. Amen? You're a witness of what's occurred. You don't have to be eloquent. Just tell what you saw. Tell what happened to you. Share your encounter with God and what God is doing in you. And oftentimes that opens the door for other people. Lord, we just say thank you. Lord, thank you that you love us so much that you challenge us. Um, Lord, you remind us of the things that are most valuable, the things that are most important. And you draw our attention back to center. And so, Lord, we just say thank you for that. Lord, as we move forward, let our focus ever be on you, Lord. Ever be on you and your kingdom. Lord, to hear your voice and to do what you say because that's what disciples do. And for that, Jesus, we say thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. As you leave, if you do need prayer, please stay in your seat. And our leaders would happy to come and pray for you. If you're watching online and you need prayer, contact us, uh, admin at Dothan CEF, and we'd love to connect with you guys and pray as well. Otherwise, have a wonderful week. Thanks, guys.